where we left us off on our journey, which was a little frightening, is that we had learned that you're in there, 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 you're in there. You experience the world as it comes in. You experience the world as it comes in. But that wasn't quite enough. As it came in, you had to digest it. It had to pass through you. You're in there, you're in there, you're in there, you're in there. You had to embrace it and imbibe it. You're in there, you're in there, you're in there. And that's not always so easy. That's not always so easy. And so what Will ended up doing, your assertion of will, your assertion of will, was to push away some things and cling to other things. Push, 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 cling, 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 cling. Seemed like an innocent thing to do, but where it left you was with these patterns, 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 stored inside your mind, stored inside your mind. Now, because you held a specific image, it became something you like and something you don't like. And so you started looking for what you like and started trying to avoid what you don't like and everything that came in started stimulating those things inside your mind. You have also this other power which is the ability to abstract from what is coming in from the real world and play, play. Microsoft says, where do you want to go today? Where do you want to go? Forget the computer. <laughs> Your mind is the ultimate of that. Your mind is the ultimate of that. The question is, what are you doing with it? The question is, what are you doing with it? What are you doing with it? What programs are you running? What programs are you running? I see you've been chasing your monsters and they've been driving you bonkers Just blinding with rocket launchers of light to blow what they conscious If you really want to juxtapose and take a darker color with the blush of rose And then you put it in your ink and watch it go Your mind is always open when your eyes are closed because you're blind of color and How do you want to start this? It's up to you, man Okay I'm, me... uh, I'm, I'm just going to be like super chill and just like flowing with with uh, the chi, with the the universe on this one, I'm not going to resist anything. I'm not going to want anything. I'm just going to let things flow in and out. And yeah, gonna, you're like, just going to absorb every and hold moment on as it unfolds in front of you. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see how that works it, in man. real life application. <laughs> all right. Um, all right. Let's do it this way then. So are we doing this? We're doing this as a joint thing. So this is infants on thrones as well, right? Sure. Cool. Um, all right. Almost, almost awakened infants on thrones. Yeah. This, so, yeah, so kind of drowsy, kind of, kind of yeah, drowsy, this is drowsy before, infants on thrones. This is before coffee. The infants on thrones, <laughs> almost awakened edition. Uh -huh. uh, the host of Almost Awakened, Bill Real here with Glenn Oslin, the host of Infants on Thrones. Yeah. We've had this conversation now a few times as we've been talking about your podcast, Bathing with God, and you mm -hmm. thought it would be interesting to sit down and, and to discuss this Michael Singer audio, which I'm having a, a lot of fun with. I really enjoyed listening to four, five, and six, and I listened to them again. And um, did you listen to them twice? I did. I Twin listened them to them twice. twice. Yes. Nice. And nice. so let me start off here. In the last time we had a conversation, I was talking about how I deal with my family and I was trying to share this better way of doing things, which is to try and be present to try to be aware that you're aware and when disturbances come up inside you to just sit with them and to not react in unhealthy ways, but instead to respond. And you saw that as kind of, you laughed a little bit and you said, I'm skeptical that we really can do that. And 
But that really seems to be what Michael Singer is saying, that we surrender. No, 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 no. That's not what I said, Bill. <laughs> okay, what, what did you say? You said I'm a skeptic about this, such things like, oh, yeah, can we, can we really change and be better? And, no, it's, it, what, I was, what I was laughing at was the, like, drawing a distinction between the words react and respond. Like, one of, one of, the, one of those ways is the good way to do it. One of those ways is a bad way to do it. And then it sets up this, this kind of dichotomy of, like, self-criticism. Oh, am I, it didn't work that time, so I must have been doing the wrong one. I must have been reacting instead of responding. Or, oh, I was responding instead of reacting. And, and so I was, what I was doing was I, what you said hit my stuff and I was recognizing <laughs> that it hit my stuff and I was laughing at it to release it. I got you. Okay. Does that makes sense. Yeah, that solves everything. So I, so I have these Samskaras inside of me and we're going to talk more tonight about yeah, Samskaras, I, I, I right? I love this stuff too. Yeah, it's good stuff. And I've got this stuff inside of me that I was just acknowledging in that moment because I mean, honestly, what you said kind of hit and triggered those things of my, my skepticism, my cynicism. And so I was acknowledging it in that moment. But I, and, and it's because you were talking about Thomas McConkie saying you've got like a bowl of water in front of you and I just want to dump out the bowl of water. And yeah, yeah. So I, I, I certainly um, think that in the case of your family, trying to let things be what they are rather than get upset because they aren't something different than what they are that you want them to be. That, that is what Michael Singer is talking about in here and recognizing the role that you play, like what you're bringing to that situation. Why is it that you want things a certain way? And if it's not a certain way, you're not going to be okay with it. Well, take responsibility then. You're the one that put those parameters in place that said, if it doesn't come in this particular way, then I'm not going to be happy. Yeah, this is such good stuff. So part four yeah. starts off, uh, there's this, he makes this comment where, Learning is letting the experience all the way in, whereas these, the sanskaras or these blockages that we have in us, they don't get all the way in. And, and this idea that whenever we experience good things and bad things, when we experience positive things happening to us, we now want more of this positive. So if things happen in a way that's not what we want, then it is a negative. And if things don't happen that we do want, then that also is disrupting to us. So as experiences, again, I'm, I'm going to try to explain to the listener and feel free to jump in. You've listened to stuff way more than me. But for, as I listened to this the first time, it's this idea that whenever things occur to us and we, and, and I want to, I always want to say trauma because it's the bad that I think we all tend to focus on that turns into unhealthy reactions and unhealthy mechanisms in us. The reason that spiritually they try to bring you back to the present moment is because you're lost in your personal mind. And your personal mind is the worst place to be. All it does is complain and have trouble and try to manipulate the world and so on. So by focusing on the current moment, it brings you out of that, okay? And to focus on something other than the personal mind. You also have the ability to transcend the personal mind and visit your pure intellectual mind and create and do things and be an engineer and anything, art, artistry, computer science, engineering, all of it's beautiful. You are to use your mind. It is not the, you're just not supposed to use it for this personal garbage of having stored experiences that you like and don't like and then thinking that the whole world is supposed to match what you stored. <laughs> it's the funniest thing in the world. 
But when experiences and, and things happen that disappoint us, hurt us, frustrate us, sadden us, anger us, rather than just let that moment flow through us, as Michael tends to continually point at, we instead get what he calls these blockages or sanskaras. And now when the next experience happens, that is similar to this. So if I had my bike stolen as a kid, now anytime somebody appears to be taking something that belongs to me, I'm, I, I react really strongly in the beginning before I even know what the full story is. And that these blockages that occur over the course of our life cause us to feel a disturbance in us, whatever that disturbance is, and we tend to name it, we'll give it a name, it's jealousy, it's anger, it's frustration, it's sadness, it's bitterness, whatever it is. And, and the moment our brain puts that label on, now our ego puts up walls and protections and shields to protect us from being hurt by others. And it, it influences us to manipulate others, to change their experience, to fit what we want. And it, and it gets us to manipulate people to stop doing the things we don't want. And it causes us to continually want to, and I'm, and I'm probably skipping through four, five, and six here, to continually um, search for these optimal experiences. But by always searching for the optimal experience, we're continually disappointed. And he uses a beautiful example in one of the later parts where he talks about you know, what you wanted was to get married. If you just got married, it'd make you happy. And then you get married, you're not really that happy. And now you think, well, if we just have kids, kids will solve the problem. Then you have kids and that doesn't solve it. It just brings more headaches and, and frustrations and more sanskaras. And so you say, and then even just having the wedding for the, for the marriage, you're like, oh, I'll have this perfect wedding. I'll make sure it looks like this. Make sure these people are coming. Make sure we have it in this place. And then that day comes and it rains and people are pissed off and things don't go the way you want them to. You're always trying to make your life match what your insides want it to look like. And, and what Michael's getting to as he gets through four, five, and six, and there are more parts to come. So I don't know where we go from here, but I can guess but what he does say is that we have to learn, the surrender is to learn to just let the world unfold as it does. Let the emotions, the feelings just pass through us. Let the thoughts of reaction just pass through us, not act out because of the disturbance inside us, but instead just, as I think I pointed to in the last episode, just sit with those disturbances, recognize that life is what we perceive as good and bad, and it's continually happening all the time. Our expectations are met and we're happy. Our expectations are not met and we're upset and frustrated. And if we can just sit with life being beautiful and even in the bad moments, just sit with them kind of going by and happening, uh, that we tend to show up in the world in better, healthier ways. Um, and we tend to be more present and we tend to find more enjoyment in the present moment rather than losing our sleep and having emotional breakdowns over things never being exactly the way we want them to be. So all that said, what are your thoughts there? Am I, am I hitting the nail on the head? Is that, is that the general gist of what he's trying to give us? Well, I, yeah. I mean, as I'm listening to, to you, Bill, I'm thinking, um, I, I, I guess it's just interesting to me to hear what you take from it, you know? So uh, like you're asking me, is that what he's trying to say? I don't, I don't know if that's what he's trying to say or not. Um, 
this this is what you've taken from it. Let me. I, I, I think there's some differences in the way that you expressed it and the way that I'm understanding it, but I don't want to frame it as like one is right or one is wrong because, you know, it's, it's just like the way that we're engaging with this material here. Um, part, if, if I could summarize part four, I would say part four is about the mind. Part five is about the heart. And I'm not quite sure what to say about part six. It's the predicament. You know, what, what he's talking about is how do you find peace of mind? How do you create peace of mind? Um, and I think, it's, I think it would be helpful probably for the, for the listeners that haven't listened to this Michael Singer course material to define samskara a little bit so that, that they know what we're talking about with samskara. I'm curious to hear how you understand this uh, concept of a samskara how you would define it uh, and maybe a simplification. He, he brings this up many times that there's the world that's happening all around us. There's what we think about it and there's how we feel about it. And he, he goes and he says, that's primarily the main three things that are going on and the world that's happening around us. It's, it's a result of, actions that have been put into place going back at least 13.8 billion years ago. Most of, most of what's going on in any moment that we're in doesn't have anything to do with us. If you removed us from that moment, that moment would still be going on. There, sure, there are uh, influences that we have, but it's so small in the grand scheme of things. So there's that, the, the world going on. Most of what we experience are our thoughts, the, what, what our mind is telling us about what's going on in the outside world and then the things that we feel what we feel about that and so he talks about the mind in part four he talks about the heart in part five and how the heart gets closed and how to open up the heart um to be to really be uh, to, to me I, I guess if i was going to summarize this whole thing i'd say instead of trying to find peace from outside in the world to to find peace inside and become, and I don't want to be Boyd K. Packer here and talk about little factories, but your heart could be a little factory that manufactures love and, and compassion and charity and pushes that out into the world. And that becomes the source of, of love rather than expecting things to just line up exactly the way that you want them or not. But so much of what he says relies on this idea of a samskara, which is a pattern and so I think I want to turn it over to you, Bill, and, and just hear your thoughts on what samskaras are, how they are formed, and what they do. I think it's a huge question. Um, my understanding, and, and I think I'm going to say things that are outside of what he said as well. I think we are born into this world with certain dispositions. And I think as the world happens... Our parents raise us a certain way. Our neighborhood gives us certain experiences. Our school system gives us certain experiences. Um, any relationship we have with another human being, any world events that are happening, any uh, cultural norms or ex ex expectations that are placed upon us, and all of those cause us internally 
to create likes and dislikes, to create things that really excite us and things we're really having a deep aversion to. And um, we are continually trying to get the outside world to show up in a way that, as Michael says, meets all of our stuff inside the right way. So that every moment I am having the optimal joyful experience. And I'm constantly getting lost in the past about the way things happened before and the worry that this present moment is turning into that negative thing that happened before, or that I'm not getting this present moment to turn into the really awesome way that party or that dinner or that get together happened before. And whenever the world isn't showing up exactly as my internal dispositions want it to be, I'm constantly disappointed in how the world is being in this moment. And I'm deeply focused on trying to change it and alter it, manipulate it into being what I want it to be so that I can be really happy right now, really joyful right now, so that I can make sure the future provides me with just happiness, that I can sit and think about the past so I can make those things all work out and go away for the bad things that happened. And I'm constantly lost in the world showing up in such a way that all my needs and wants and desires are met in this given moment, but to the degree that I'm really not being that present anyway. And so the samskara to me is all these little things inside that want the world to be a certain way and the way I want the world. So me and my wife, my wife and I went to uh, a restaurant last night to have dinner and she wants the experience to unfold a certain way. I want the experience to unfold a certain way. She's having certain kinds of conversation with me. I want to talk about other things. And so the more humans you add into any experience, the more individual dispositions that come into play. And so now you have two people trying to have an experience that makes them happy. And now neither one of us are, we're both being disappointed on some level. And, and so as, as I'm needing the world to show up in whatever way I need it to be, to be okay and to feel at peace and to be comfortable and to be happy, the world is continually not showing up exactly like that. So I'm, I'm all the time being disappointed by this internal groundwork inside me that is wanting a certain life to be. And what Michael's, I think, is pointing to is that you can keep doing that, but it just never works. Again, you wanted the wedding to be perfect. It wasn't. You wanted the marriage to bring you happiness. It, it still didn't, you know, even after you got married, you're still chasing happiness. You have the kids, you're still chasing happiness. You get the promotion at work, you're still chasing happiness. You, you have great friendships and you have this wonderful party and you have this great get together and everything feels perfect that night. You finally got it. And then you wake up the next morning and we're right back to chasing it again. And, and so the samskaras to me are, the internal borders, boundaries, dispositions, perspectives that continually are requiring the next thing to be just right so that you can be happy. And very few moments in your life will actually hand you that. So to follow it up, it seems like 
you got to find a way to, as you point out, not need the outside world to show up a certain way, but learn to just accept that the world just unfolds as it does with things that will make you, that will fluster you and things that will bring you great joy and ecstasy. And you have to learn to live with the yin and the yang because that's just life. And he's trying to offer you the way in which you stop imposing your will on the outside world and instead learn to sit with your insides in ways that allow you to be okay internally, regardless of what's going on in the outside world. Yeah. I, and I, th I think that he, he might push back a little bit at that last thing that you said that you might be okay internally, no matter what's going on in the outside world. I don't know that that's necessarily it. And you're probably right. Cause he talks about death and he says like, when death happens, all this emotion comes in. Yeah. He's not trying to say you're, you find a way not to feel it. Right. You still feel it. You just right. accept that it's yeah. life and it happens. But if you hold on to it, and you become afraid, and you're not afraid, you're afraid of your thought. <laughs> it's just so funny. You have an autoimmune disease. You're afraid of yourself. Do you understand that? You've literally created within your mind hell so that it's telling you what you don't want to happen, what you do want to happen, and so on. Then it's out there judging everything that's unfolding based on what you stored inside. Is it good? Is it bad? Is it right? Is it wrong? All based on your stuff. That's why nobody agrees with anybody else. Let's do that for a moment, okay? The experiences that came in through your eyes, we already said that, no one else has ever had them. And now I move you through time and space and you keep having other ones. Well, nobody else has had any of them. So what you have inside your mind is completely different than what everybody else has inside their mind. Do you understand that? It can't be otherwise because the data that came in in your mind came in from the experiences you had. Nobody else had those experiences ever, not even close. Not your husband, not your children, not even close. So what you have stored inside your mind, not only are the experiences different, but they hit you different. So you store different ones. So just understand, if you think your faces look different and your bodies look different, they might as well be identical twins compared to what your minds look like. Yeah, he, he talks a lot about energy. And the, the first time I listened to it, it was a little, it was a little triggering to me, it, it seemed a little woo-woo to have him talk so much about energy. But the more I listened to it and the more I realized that really is <laughs> what's, what's going on, that the, the emotions that we feel are energy, the thoughts that we think are energy, the way that we're sensing the world around us and we're creating this perception is, is energy and it's these electrical impulses in our brains that are creating this image that we live with as our, our reality. But, but so I think one of my favorite images that he gave is the Colorado River as this energy that just wants to flow. And a samskara is a preference for how it flows or you decide to put a dam. You're going to put, what is it the Hoover Dam with the Colorado River and that gives, gives you Lake Powell? I don't know what it, if it's the Hoover Dam or whatever it is. But, but um, you, you know, like if, if once, you, once you put that dam there, and you stop the natural flow, you get this buildup of pressure. And you're going to need people to maintain that dam because the water just wants to burst out. And there's this, this energy that, that these experiences that we have in life, like I, I can think of one with my son when he was probably six years old. 
and uh, my wife and I were fairly newly divorced and he was over at my house and I wanted to do this really special breakfast for him. So I made him something that I love, which is pancakes with mangoes and blueberries in it. And he didn't want it. And I was thinking, oh, come on, you ungrateful kid. I went to all this trouble to make you, you're going to like it, damn it. <laughs> and I forced him to eat it. And it was just a miserable experience. I filmed it. I've got it on YouTube or not on YouTube on Facebook. It's, it's horrible. It's horrible to watch my six-year-old son just like, uh, no. And I'm like going, no, you take a bite. You're going to like this. I mean, he's 16 now. He still doesn't like mangoes or blueberries. And what I think is that he stored this samskara of associating mangoes with that feeling that he was feeling at the time of stress that, you know, I was forcing him to do something he didn't want to do. And so now anytime mangoes come around, he just kind of like, ugh, he kind of recoils. He just doesn't, he doesn't like it. It's that instead of it being this experience that kind of came and went, he's held on to it because of that trauma. And that, and that trauma is you're, you're kind of like bracing yourself. And the, the image that Michael Singer gave, I think in part three was like a plasma TV screen that when you pause the screen, it freezes in place. And so this experience that happened 10 years ago, it's still in my son's mind. It's still in his subconscious. It's this automatic program that still runs and it influences his set of preferences. And I think that's probably a, a set of preferences is the way that I, I like to understand what samskaras are and, and these, these programs that kind of run the way that we experience the world. And so I, I gave an example of one where there was something that he didn't like, but I could just as easily give an example of something that we do like and that we enjoy. And, and so it's recorded in our minds as, oh, this is a good thing. I felt this way because of these circumstances that happened. Therefore, these circumstances are always going to bring this feeling. You know, you gave the example of uh, taking your friends out to dinner or something. Uh, Michael Singer gives the example of a restaurant. You go to a restaurant, it's this awesome experience. And so you, you tell all your friends, oh, you got to go to this restaurant. It's just the best thing. You're going to love it. And you take them and it's just not as good as the last time because maybe it's a different chef, you know, that the night's different. You're in a different mood. There's all kinds of different variables in here. And so you're apologizing. No, I swear it's, 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 it was better than what we experienced because we're constantly having these comparisons, freezing that moment in the past saying, this is the ideal, this is the standard, this is what it was that brought me happiness and joy. And I'm trying to recreate that and you just can't uh, exactly. And so trying, you know, recognizing when those feelings come in, anytime you're feeling a feeling or you're thinking a thought, you can say, oh, this is a result of this filter that I've built, this set of preferences that I've built. I'm not these feelings. I'm not these thoughts. I'm not this filter, but I'm experiencing it. And, and that's why I'm feeling like I, I need to do X, Y, or Z. Um, so I, I think it's just kind of that recognition. And may, maybe if you're Thomas McConkie and you're holding a bowl of water, then you can turn it over and dump it out. But I, I, I don't know if Sam Scars can just be dumped out quite like that bowl of water. But I think that is the, you know, what you're trying to do is take that dam down so that the Colorado river can continue to just flow and you don't have all of this buildup, all of this pressure. Yeah. So two things. One is that in your situation you shared about you and your son, I, I'm not doing this to poke at you, but I want to, 
I want to draw attention to it, which is you had your own Samskaras, right? You, mm -hmm. you needed your kid to like things the way you like things. Yeah. And you needed your kid to show gratitude. You needed your kid to be thankful and to smile and to be happy and to come into that experience being thrilled that you had gone out of your way and put so much effort into trying to make this really cool birthday. Exactly. Yeah. And, and he didn't. And so your stuff got bumped into. Yeah. And so you show up as dad and I do this all the time as dad. I'm like, you know, God damn it. Can't we just do things the right way here? Yeah. Um, I was out at dinner this past week. Our grandson had his first birthday. It's our first grandchild, our only grandchild as of right now. It was his first birthday. Uh, family from her side, from my, my son's wife's family was in town. And I take my entire, I take all these people out to dinner and I'm, I'm, I'm footing the bill. And I, I don't know, no arrogance in that. Like everybody else, I just have the means and we did it. So I foot the bill and my daughter who's came in from California, she had just moved there a few months back and kind of struggling to get by. And I buy dinner for everybody. And my daughter uh, orders wings and her wings come out. I did the order cause she wasn't going to get there until a little late. So she says, dad, order me wings. Her husband says she doesn't want any sauce. And I'm like, that seems crazy. Um, so I ask her, do you want that sauce on that? She goes, Oh yeah, please don't let that get messed up. So it shows up with sauce, but it also has blue cheese crumbles and she hates blue cheese, but I paid for the damn meal, right? Like, so she starts moaning and groaning. I'm not going to eat it. She starts crying. She has this breakdown over. And so her stuff got bumped into, right? Yeah. The, the blue cheese is atrocious to her and it's not the way she wanted. She's disappointed that people who ordered for her couldn't get it right. She's hurt by the fact it didn't show up right. She's hungry. She's had a long day. So there's reason why she's all poked and now I'm all pissed off. And I, so I, but I also, again, being a little older, a little wiser, I sit with that for a moment. I sit over, I try to talk to her. So I'm not drawing attention with anybody else. I'm not trying to embarrass her. I say, Hey, I say, Hey daughter, life is going to throw things at you. Not everything is going to happen the way you want it to. My, my two senses that if you want to be a healthy adult in this world, sometimes you got to learn to make the best out of things when they don't happen the way you want them to. And then she kind of fires back at me and she's still pissed. So now my, I'm starting to get upset. I'm starting to get irritated. Like, damn it. You know, fucking just paid your meal. And excuse my language, just paid your damn meal. Just eat the damn food and let's move on. And she couldn't. So I had to, you know, I being the older person and again, hoping there's a little bit of wisdom here. I just let it go. I moved on. I just said, you know, it's not worth fighting over. She wants to be upset. She gets to be upset. And hopefully she learns something from this experience that she takes with her and figures out a better way to do this the next time. But this shit is happening every day, Glenn. This is how we yeah. humans interact with each other. Either you're making me happy or you're not. And then, and then I'm trying to figure out how to get you to do the things you need to do to make me happy. Um, we're constantly bumping into each other's stuff. And, and not recognizing that... <sighs> She's really the one that was causing herself to be upset. And you're the one that was causing yourself to be upset. And, you know, at, at, at any point, uh, you, you could have said, oh, well, I'll, I'll send this back. I'll ask, I'll ask the, the waitress if she'll bring out some without the blue cheese. And, uh, you know, <laughs> or I'll order you another one without blue cheese. Uh, you know, but, but there's this stuff that we're carrying around, like, no, you've got to do it the right way. You're being ungrateful. You're making a big, you know, deal. like that's your stuff. You're, you're Sam scars, like ugh, kind of thing. 
And, and so you're making yourself annoyed at the way that she's responding. She's making herself annoyed because these things didn't come out the right way. And, and like all of us, I think, want to try to fix what's wrong with everybody else <laughs> rather than taking that responsibility of, oh, wait, this is because I have a preference that isn't being met. I'm going to chill out on this. I'm going to, I'm going to take a pill. <laughs> I'm going to relax on, on this. Um, and, and not, not have this become then the moment that we're experiencing. That's, that's full of this turmoil that I've created because my preferences aren't what's happening outside of me. Yeah. Sometimes your preferences will be met. Sometimes they won't. Can, can we get to a place where we're aware as these, emotions rise up inside us and and I really do I, I think this this all ties into Buddhism and the benefits of meditation the moment you can be aware of the ego as it's happening almost as if the ego is an outsider yeah rather than it's me and I'm just pissed right now rather you go like oh my gosh I noticed that there's something inside me that wants to be pissed right now yeah and, and when you are aware, when you observe the observer, when you're aware that you're aware, you begin to develop a, an ability to see those emotional feelings rising up in you as separate from you. Yeah. And you can now begin to go like, oh, I'm going to make an active choice to just sit with that disruption and let it, let it last as long as it does and it'll go away. And then we move on with life without having to disrupt the outside world because it's not happening the way I want it to. Yeah. And, and you still feel, you know, like, so you still feel the frustration of your daughter throwing a fit that there's blue cheese on the wings, you know, and you might even still be judging it internally. Maybe over time you get to a place where you're not judging it internally. Um, but, but you just go, okay, I'm, I'm going to give myself a little mental timeout because I don't want right. I don't want I don't want to respond from a place of annoyance or anger. I don't want to escalate the situation. I want to be a peacemaker. <laughs> and and so I'm going to make peace. Yeah. In the situation. Yeah, and I could have at any moment rather than be inside my head getting all spiraling out of control, I could have just went back to eating my meal and talking to my wife, which is eventually what I did after about a minute of trying to give her some advice and and in a legitimate, healthy way, and it backfired, I immediately turned to my wife and just moved on, started eating my food. And if she wants to stay in that space of being disrupted, she gets to do that. That's what, you know, what we humans get to do. We get to have breakdowns at times and be hurt and be upset and spiral out. And it doesn't mean that the rest of us do if someone is. Yeah. Um, we can move on with our day and, and enjoy it and not let those things keep bumping up against our stuff. And I think, I think the really advanced move is to, to be grateful that that experience bumped up against your stuff and go, wow, this, this showed me that I've still got these edges here. I, I'm still a rough stone rolling and I've got these corners and edges. I'm, I'm going to see how many of these I can throw in here. Yeah, how many like these it. religious cliches that <laughs> some of the audience will know and some won't. I love it. <laughs> But, but, but seriously, you know, like it's a, every single one of those moments is teaching you about yourself. It's teaching you about, okay, what are these triggers that I'm carrying around inside? What are my samskars? What is the shape of my samskars? And am I really going to let these sets of preferences run my life? 
uh, and, yeah. and I'm going to be asleep to them and just go where they take me? Or am I going to become awake? Am I going to take control of them and go, you know, actually, I'd like to craft a different feeling in this moment. Um, th there, there was one point, I think, in part four where he was talking about thoughts. And he was saying, you know, there's, there's different kinds of thoughts. But 95% of the thoughts, and I, I mean, I th this is an arbitrary number that he gave. But about 95% of thoughts are just automatic thoughts that just come up as a result of living life. You know, you look at your phone, you see the clock and you realize, oh, I was supposed to contact this guy. Oh, I didn't. I forgot. Man, he's going to hate me for this. Um, you know, and, and you like start doing this thing that is it's just an automated response to things. But then every once in a while, you can create using your will. You can create your own thoughts. You know, and, and the example he says is in your mind right now, I want you to say hello. Just just in your mind right now, say hello. 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 Did you do it? Whether you did or not, it's, a, <laughs> it's an expression of your will. You either chose to do it or chose not to do it. So you're like creating and generating these thoughts on your own. But a lot of times when we're just not paying attention, we find this inner chatter in our mind and these thoughts that are, are going on that then make us... Uh, we, we, we worry, we have anxiety. Um, we're worrying about things that haven't happened or that aren't going to happen that might happen. <laughs> but, it, uh, and those are formed by these, um, these samskaras, these, these, um, sets of preferences that are mostly in our subconscious that have been collected and gathered over the course of our life as we've made note oh i like this kind of thing oh i don't like this kind of thing oh i want more of this kind of thing oh i don't want any more of this kind of thing he, he says something at one point if 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 anybody's upset it's either it's for one of two reasons either you got something that you didn't want or you didn't get something that you wanted <laughs> something happened to you that you didn't want to have happen or something didn't happen to you that you wanted to have happen and it pretty much boils down to those kinds of things so it's it's the the sets of preferences that, and this is the buddhist um desire is the source of suffering teaching because we have these sets of preferences that we desire that things are a certain way when the majority of time they aren't we've got we suffer as a result of it yeah we're the ones that we're the ones that created that nest of samskaras in the first place with that that little bit of will that we have to create a thought that says, oh, I like this, or oh, I don't like this. I want more of this. I, I don't want more of this. And what we built that so we can, we can unravel it. That is the suggestion from Michael Singer. He's been doing this since the early 70s. And, you know, I've been doing it since June. <laughs> so <laughs> I don't know if it's true or not, but this is what he's saying. And I like the message. Yeah, I, there's parts of it I want to push back in, so I'll, I will get to those here in a little bit. But the general gist of what he's saying feels like stuff that I've been swimming in for a few years anyway. Mm -hmm. This idea of being present, this idea of recognizing these, these disturbances rise up in you, and then we humans immediately want to name them. And it's just a sensation, right? What, what you would name as jealousy or anger or sadness or frustration, they're just sensations. Your, your body feels something, then your brain names it. 
And, and if you can get in between that process and go, oh, there's a sensation, but let's, let's try to stay away from naming it. You know, I, my, I want to name it this, but let's not do that. Let's just sit with the sensation I'm feeling and let's try to keep the brain away from naming it, or at least be aware that it's trying to and kind of sit with not allowing it to. Um, and then you sit with that sensation and I think it begins to allow you to show up in a present moment differently. Yeah. Um, I, I, and, and, and I, and that's something I kind of push back on too, because I, 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 I know I've, I've heard that a lot, like that when you name it, that that's the equivalent of building the dam that stops up the Colorado river, you know, like that, that's a way of taking this energy or this emotion and freezing it into a certain form by the, the name that you're giving it, the label that you're giving it. I think it takes I, on a story. Probably. And I, like I said, I've been doing, I, I, I started listening to this in June. I don't know how to not name things. And so maybe I just don't like that because I can't not do it. I don't like this, this thing. It, it, it makes it seem like, oh, if I'm naming something that I'm doing it wrong. And um, I don't know, there's just something, there's something about that, that I don't, that just doesn't really sit well with me, Bill about like not naming things. I don't know how we can not name things. How do you, do, have you done that? Have you had any success in doing this? Uh, again, I'm not far enough in to say I'm reporting back major success, but on less than a half dozen occasions, yeah, I've been able to, whereas I've, I've in, a, in an experience that's similar to an experience that's happened a hundred times before where I lose my shit, I feel the sensation. I, I now observe the observer and I see that in a normal instance, I would lose my shit here. Hmm. But instead I sit with the sensation and go like, okay, this is whatever. I would, I would want to name this thing and now go into the story of how it's happened a hundred times before yeah. and lose my shit again. And instead I go, there's that feeling. I'll tell you what I'm going to do this time. I'm going to try something different. I'm just going to sit here. I don't want to teach you how to change your emotions, how to make this happen or that happen or never feel this. No, that's not I'm going to teach you the rest of this course. I want to teach you how to be you while the emotions go through their natural changes. Because if you can stay seated in the seat of self while these different shifts are taking place, we have a name for that. And it's a very high one. Become, it's called becoming established in the seat of self. So the emotions can change. You notice them changing, but you don't go anywhere. You're the one who notices this. You're the one who hears the thoughts. You're the one who looks out through the eyes. Who is this one? This is the one that it's all about. There is no spirituality anywhere except in the seat of self. The seat of self is spirit. And spirit, spirituality is about spirit. And I'm going to respond with healthy dialogue in the conversation I'm at, recognizing my ego wants to just go crazy. My ego wants to put somebody in their place. It yeah. wants to tell somebody they're wrong. It wants to give them advice and, and fix the situation for them. And instead, I, I still sense that path's right there. I could go down it. And instead, I'm yeah. choosing a different path, which is just to... Be present with them and to let them speak, not try to fix it, not try to tell them they're they're screwing up or put it's just a different way. And I don't even know if I can describe it right because it's happened three, four, five times. Yeah. And sadly, I'm still failing 99.2% of the time. Yeah. 
Well, well, here's for failing only 99.1% of the time. I'm rooting for you, Bill. But, you know, I can, <laughs> I can tell you the, the times where I've had the most success with that is um, telling stories about my ex-wife and the horrible things that she did to me that, you know, I present myself as a victim of circumstance. And I've, I've recognized that there have been times where people are talking about those kinds of things. And in the past, I would have gone, oh, yeah, well, I had this experience where blah, 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 blah. And that in doing that, I'm freezing those experiences and all of the feelings that are along with that. I'm like, I'm, I'm keeping it in my mind. <laughs> you know, it, it's like clay that I keep pushing and reinforcing into this certain shape instead of just like not like i don't need to tell that story anymore that was that was 10 years ago i don't need to keep reliving it and re-traumatizing myself and i and and i can also recognize that was just my perspective of things at the time that probably isn't even really the truth of what actually was going on so i can i can let that go i can surrender that experience i can recognize that the story that i'm telling about it is a fiction that I created because I wanted to feel like a victim and get other people's sympathy to help me go through a hard time and go, oh, wow, I can't believe she treated you like that. You don't deserve that. You're a good guy. And I'm getting like these attaboys and it feels good. And, you know, so there's, there's this payoff as to why I was telling this victim story about myself. So I, I guess in the like not naming things category, um, retiring that story, <laughs> putting it away. And the, the, the more times I feel the impulse for it to come up and I don't go there, the easier it is for me to not go there. And I, I think what will happen is I'll just get to a, a place where I don't even have that impulse come up anymore. And it's basically just gone. It, it, it isn't something that, that makes me feel anything anymore because it's just back in the past and I've taken the, the dam down from the Colorado river and I'm just letting it, flow because it was something that was in the past. It's not, you know, so I, I think that's where I probably do that with the naming and have had yeah. the most success with it. I, uh, I think it has to be, we have to, we have to talk about this for a moment, which is in part four. I think it's part four. And by the way, I, I write down part four and I make my notes and then I make more notes about part five and more notes about part six, but I didn't yeah. put a line in and say, here's where part five started and here's where yeah. part six started. Okay. But I think it's in part four where he talks about dreams and what, yeah, benefit dreams are. And I I think the listeners need to hear this, which is, and I think there's some truth to this. I don't think it's all true. I dreamed last night as I woke up this morning, I dreamed that I was with a group of people and I said, I will eat that bug. There was a bug up high in the room. And I said, Mm -hmm. I will eat that bug if all of you will throw in 20 bucks. And so in my dream, some people threw in 20 bucks. One guy got out like a bunch of twenties and hand them to me, but hand them to me privately so that he wouldn't get recognition for giving me the most money. Yeah. And then I, and then I'm about ready to eat the bug and then I wake up. So I think, you know, some dreams are just dreams. I don't think they're fixing Sam scars. I, maybe they are, but it's certainly not something I could figure out. But I do think what Michael points to in part four is this idea that some of these irritations that happen to us or sometimes things happening good. And we don't, we don't get the chance in the real world to resolve them, or we just didn't take the opportunity to resolve them. And that our dreams serve us a therapeutic benefit of allowing us to resolve these clogged up dams in the river 
without having to actually resolve them in real life. Like we ought to be appreciative and think about and understand these connections with our dreams that our dreams give us the, you know, of course, dreams don't always happen in realistic ways. And most of the time don't. There's aspects to our dreams that are uh, fantasy land or superpowers or crazy animals or dragons or whatever. Um, I remember one dream when I was a kid, I dreamed it over and over again of my family being chased by this giant killer bear. And if I could go back to that moment, I bet I could find something I was afraid of that, that was trying to resolve itself through this dream. But that dreams are a way for us to resolve these blockages without actually real life resolving them. So maybe, maybe we're doing a good job at work, but our boss is having a bad day and they lash out at us. And so now we're hurt and we're upset, but we can't put our boss in their place. So we just move on with our day, but we're frustrated because we couldn't resolve it. We couldn't get our boss to acknowledge that we didn't do that thing wrong. And then we go home that night and we have some dream that has to do with being frustrated and we're allowed to essentially release that frustration. Um, I think we ought to make this connection and see that some of our dreams have this real benefit of allowing us to unclog these samskaras. Yeah. Well, uh, let, let me make a, a pivot away from Michael Singer for a minute. There's a, there's a book that I've been listening to called Why We Sleep by Matthew Walker. And I recently heard him, he was in a, a chapter talking about dreams. And what he said about dreams, which I thought was really interesting, is that it's kind of like a filing system where the activities of the day are being filed into our unconscious minds. And so we're kind of like trying to match up what we encountered in the course of that day, which filing cabinets it fits into <laughs> in, in our subconscious and what the, what the dream experience is, is kind of where those two things are meeting and all of these weird different images that kind of feel like they've got something and maybe feel like they don't. And that was an interesting idea. Um, and I don't know if it's completely inconsistent with what Michael Singer said, but, but Michael Singer says that, you know, like you dam up the Colorado River with the Hoover Dam, we're, we're walking around with all of these energetic pressures that we've stored through the course of our life that the water wants to come out. This, this pressure is building up and it wants to be released. It wants to just flow. And that dreams are a way that the dam is released and a little bit of that energy gets let out. And maybe it gets let out in the form of a bear. Maybe it gets let out in the form of a bug that you want to eat for 20 bucks or more. I don't know what, what that is. But I, I think it's an interesting idea that we, we are walking around with all of the experiences we've ever had. Have you seen the movie Lucy with, with Scarlett Johansson? Um, I think so, but I don't want to swear by it. Okay. Um, I, I'd like to recommend that you go and watch that movie, Bill. So the, the premise of the movie, and I'll have some spoilers in here, it doesn't matter. Um, she, she gets uh, kidnapped and she's being used as a drug mule and they put this drug like in her abdomen. But basically the, the impact of this drug on her is that it activates 100% of her brain. So she goes from like 5% to 10% to 20% to 30%. And as she's, as she's increasing her capacity to access this power in her brain, it's, it's like she's developing superpowers, but she's able to kind of connect with the network of information and energy that's all around her. But first she starts remembering every experience that she's ever had. And there's this, she has this telephone call while she's talking with her mom. She's like, Mom? Yes? 
I feel everything. What do you mean, sweetie? Space. The air. The vibrations. The people. I can feel the gravity. I can feel the rotation of the earth. The heat leaving my body. The blood in my veins. I can feel my brain. The deepest parts of my memory. Sweetie, we have a bad connection. I can't hear you so well. What did you say about memory? The pain in my mouth. When I had braces, I, I can remember the feeling of your hand on my forehead when I ran a fever. I remember stroking the cat. It was so soft. The cat? What cat, honey? A Siamese with blue eyes and a broken tail. Sweetie, you can't possibly remember that. You were barely a year old. I remember the taste of your milk in my mouth. The room. The liquid. Sweetie, what are you talking about? I just want to tell you that I love you, Mom and Dad. Sweetie. And I want to thank you for the thousand kisses that I can still feel on my face. And so it's this idea, and I know this is a fictional movie, but that all of the experiences that we've ever had are absorbed in this sponge brain mind that, that we carry around. And, and most of it is in part, it, it, is subconscious. It's, we're, it's outside of our waking consciousness, but it's there. And it influences us in ways that we usually aren't very conscious of by, by definition. And so that, that you know, I think what, what you're saying, what, what you heard from Michael Singer, that our dreams are a way that our subconscious kind of opens up and releases some of this energy and could give us an idea of what some of those samskaras are in there. Um, but I, but it, it's not, I don't think the message is really about dreams as much as it is what you said earlier, when you start feeling these emotions rise up inside of you, whatever the emotion is, whether it's absolute joy and ecstasy or it's fear or jealousy or rage or pride or whatever it is, are, are you present enough that you can reverse engineer that emotion to figure out, okay, what is the, what is the shape of the samskara that is projecting this image onto me? Like what, why is it that I'm feeling this way? What, what's the energy that's stuck inside of me that wants to be released that I haven't released yet that is now giving me this kind of experience? And what, if anything, can I do to release it? And, and what is the impact of me not releasing it? That, that's the big um, subject in part five, where he's talking about, instead of talking about the mind and thoughts that he talks about primarily in four, he's talking about feelings and the heart, me metaphorical heart in part five. And that what these samskaras do is they block and they, they transmute, they change the, the energy, the emotions that are coming. They, they take the shape of the samskara instead of whatever they really are or whatever they could be if they weren't being filtered through this pattern of preferences and expectations, this filter 
through which we experience the world. It's very beautiful to talk about this stuff because most people don't ever understand anything. This is what most people know about their heart, right? Get it away from me. It is dangerous. It is too sensitive. It is scary. I would rather live in the mind. The mind is a place the soul goes to hide from the heart, period. Somebody hurts you, you feel this emotion, you go right to that mind. He didn't mean it, he didn't mean it. No, it's okay. He, don't, don't take it so personal. That's if you're a spiritual person. Otherwise saying, oh, I'm not gonna put up with this. I'm not staying here like this. No way, I'm getting at it. In other words, you're telling your heart, I'll take care of it. The heart's the little sister, you're a big brother. I'll take care of it. He'll be sorry he did that, right or wrong, okay? You go right to the mind immediately whenever the heart is doing something that you're not comfortable with. And, and so learning how to open up your heart, how to unlock it, how to, to surrender these samskaras to get out of your own way, how to surrender the parts of yourself that are false so that you can actually experience reality and truth as close as you can to what it is. Um, that, that's what he's talking about in, in part five. I think he continues that in part six where he, he, you've given a couple examples from six. Yeah. So I think here's a good place. Um, so away from these conversations, we're from time to time kind of messaging each other. And, 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 and I think in the last conversation, we talked a little bit about this, but I think we picked it up maybe in a text message or a Facebook messenger or something. But I want to, I want to talk to you a moment about like, there are, this idea that Michael's speaking of doesn't seem to fit everyone. Let me give an example, a sociopath or a serial killer, or I just don't think this process is available, at least not to the degree um, that, that maybe he's, ah, man, I'm going to stammer here that he's offering. I, I see a serial killer, for instance, uh, me, I want to be able to just live with the moment as it unfolds in front of me, whether it's good or bad. I'm the one who's attaching this label of good or bad. It's just meeting my stuff or it's not meeting my stuff, right? It's running up abrasive to my things or it's running smooth with my stuff. But the reality is there are certain situations in this world where people are being deeply harmed. You know, I, I lived in Ohio and an hour east of us was the, I can't remember what the girl's name was. Uh, Amanda Berry was her name. And her and some other women were kidnapped by this guy and they lived in her basement, lived in his basement. And he, he got these women pregnant and they had kids, but they were in his basement trapped for decades, like 10 years, 15 years, 20 years. Their life was atrocious. They were being harmed every day. There are certain people who are in situations that they are constantly being traumatized and harmed by the outside world. And, and I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to reduce this process to saying like, well, if they just sat present with their harm and just realize the moment as it unfolds in front of them, like to me, that's bullshit. And so I want to push back at least and say, there is some limit. There feels like there's some limit to me of how much shit we should suggest that another human being just absorb and, and let it flow through them and pass by and then enjoy the next moment as it happens. That there seems to be some degree of which normal life that we can do this and some degree of really bad stuff happening constantly that it seems unreasonable to ask somebody to just sit and let these moments pass through them as they happen and unfold before them. 
Well, I, I, I think what you're saying is trying to take this idea of surrender and apply it to a sociopath extreme or, situations. Yeah. But, but, but everything that Michael Singer is talking about is how do you deal with your stuff that's inside of you? And so in, in the situation that you're talking about, about this serial killer that is that where they got the, un, un, what is it? Unthinkable. Kimmy Schmidt or whatever that TV show was about. Was that kind of like a parody on that real life situation? I, I don't know. And, I, and I'm kind of throwing two different things together, which is the very bad people out there who are just doing atrocious things on a consistent basis. Their brain doesn't operate like the rest of us. So take a sociopath, take a serial killer. Their brains don't seem to function in a way that they can be considerate of others and understand situations in such a way that you can realize the impact of your behavior as it's being uh, imposed on those around you. So I, I just don't think that certain human beings can even process how to be healthier human beings from who they are. Well, I think, and then the others, I think you're probably right, but like my, my, my flippant response is going to be, so what to you? Like what, 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 right. how does that help you when you're sitting with your daughter and they got blue cheese on, on the wings? Like, right. It's those kinds of situations. Like how do you find peace of mind? Are, are you going to, like you heard, heard the news of this guy that did this horrible thing to these people. And now not only is he traumatizing these people that he did, but you're carrying it around with you all the time. And so he's vicariously made you a victim as well, but it's actually you who are doing it by carrying this around and saying, I'm not going to allow myself to have peace of mind because this person never can. And he did horrible things to people. And it, it really does seem like it's a, it's a separate issue. And I don't want to, minimize it or or belittle those horrible things that happen in the outside world but i don't i don't think that that's i don't think that's what um i, I don't i don't think that's a, a, gonna help you unlock your heart and and become a more loving person by recognizing that they aren't and that they yeah. possibly can't be and and then again you're gonna you can come back with the same answer but i i simply would say like is everybody's engaging this potential to not let the outside world disrupt you like it does in right now. And as, as you pointed out, Michael's argument that things are either happening that you don't want or things aren't happening that you do want. Well, some people are in situations that things that are happening that they don't want are, com are continuous. They are extreme. They are atrocious and and I, and I simply would say there are some situations where things happening to you that you don't want can't, this process may not work for. I, yeah. I mean, I, I, I don't really know what to do with that bill. Um, he, he gives, he gives an example of if, if he's in traffic and the car in front of him is driving really slow. And, you know, I mentioned earlier, he's been doing this for 30 years. So he's kind of mastered this process more, but he says he still gets triggered. He still gets upset that, Hey, you're, you're, you're in my way. I want to be going faster. And he catches himself getting annoyed at this other person for what it is that they're doing that he doesn't have any control over. He can't, he can't speed the person up. He can't, you know, move them out of the way. 
He just has to deal with it. And so what is his state of mind going to be as he's behind this ill person? And I, I think the equivalent then is what, what is your state of mind going to be as you're living in a world where there are people who do horrible things that you really don't have any control over, no matter how um, vocally you are about their wrongness. Yeah. You, you can't get them to speed up. You can't, you know, and so how, as you are in this place where this stuff happens, how are you going to be? And how is that going to affect you? And how is that going to hit your stuff? Is that going to be then another one of these samskaras that you hold on to and you put this, this dam up and this energy doesn't flow through you? It, you know, it doesn't mean that you're happy about everything. It doesn't mean that you think everything is okay, just how it is. It doesn't mean that you don't get involved and say, hey, we're going to hunt down this person. We're going to find him. We're going to bring him to justice. Uh, and, and we're going to do what we can to, you know, reduce these things in the world as much as you can, but like how, yeah, how and it's still never fixed, but yeah. Yeah. And, and are, are you saying like, I, I remember when, uh, uh, Brad Pitt and Angelina Jolie were a couple and they said, you know, we're not going to get married until everyone can get married until gay, gay people can get married and everybody has equal rights to get married. Okay. That's, that's a very laudable thing to do. Are you going to say, I'm not going to be happy until all of the serial killers in the world are behind bars and things like this never happen in the world again. I'm just not going to be happy because that's not fair to the victims that have this stuff happen to them. I'm only trying to note that for the victims of atrocious behaviors that are so long on, ongoing that one's hope for the experience to change and move to at least something different or something better that for those people who are in those situations, again, what I'm saying is that maybe the formula doesn't work for everybody. And some people on the extreme end, and we can get back to talking about most of us, because it's again, it's 99% of us that, that I think can utilize these, these tools, but just to make an acknowledgement that there may be some people in extreme situations that cannot make use of these tools, even if they were taught this procedure, taught this, as a resource, given these skills, it wouldn't help them in the, in the hell that they're in. Does that make sense? Uh, yeah. And I think that many are called and fewer chosen, Bill. Oh, I was, I was trying to time that while you had the drink up there. And so you kind of like do a spit like take it. on yeah, that. Yeah, no, that, um, there's another one. <laughs> yeah, right. But, but that um, you, you mentioned the word hope and he actually kind of goes off on the word hope for a little bit. And he says, if people think that hope is a spiritual practice, people think that hope is something that is, is like laudable. But when you're hoping, basically what you're doing is you're saying, I, I will be happy once this thing in the future happens. Once this thing that isn't how it is right now, then I'll be happy. And so you're putting your own sense of inner peace contingent on something that's totally outside of your control. That's at a time outside of the present moment. And that's, that's you doing it. You're doing that by your hope and your pre and, and that hope is going to be based on your samskaras on the way that your, your psyche has been formed over the years, your preferences. And so it's that, that hope is actually keeping you, it, it's keeping your sense of peace at arm's length. Yeah. Yeah. Um, there's a part, I think it's 
And I, I got to tell you how uncomfortable I feel being a Michael Singer apologist right now when you're talking about, you know, we're, we're, do, you're do, we're doing like the devil's advocate thing. And I'm taking this position of like trying to argue for his points where I, I'm not totally 100% a convert of all of this stuff. But I, I think that's how he would respond to it. But I, I, get, I get nervous in these situations because I, I don't ever want it to seem like I'm not mourning with those who have been wronged or that I don't have sympathy for for people and you know just like oh just bury your head in the sand and let everything go and and everything's okay and just like let it go and just surrender you know i i don't want to be that guy yeah i maybe to carry this out one little more step and then we can get back to kind of talking about some of the the usefulness of this and some of the thoughts that came up um i had mentioned to you i remember where but i mentioned to you like we have a responsibility to not do harm and you're like well we're just molecules running into each other we're just <laughs> We're just energy and, and in the whole scheme of things, you know, this, this universe, the big bang happens, the universe is, you know, created, it's ever expanding, earth gets formed, various life happens, various life dies, here are humans, we're going to be here for this speck of time. Yes, we develop consciousness, so yes, we can think about the past and yes, we can think about the future and, um, but at some point we all die too and the earth dies, the sun dies, the universe comes to an end because there's decay and, and some point it's all gone. So does it really matter? And, and <laughs> my argument to you is I think it does matter. Like I think we are responsible to not cause harm and to try to stop harm. And you're like, well, what's, what's harm, Bill, you know? And, um, <laughs> We're just I wanna, about, like how can how can one whirlwind of indestructible atomic energy harm another whirlwind of indestructible atomic energy or subatomic energy? Yeah, right. I get it. I know what you're saying. Like, like, why don't you hurt people, Glenn? Why don't you shoplift? Why don't you murder people? Why don't you kidnap? Yeah, because it's not the right thing to do. And. And on some level, your insides know that there's a, an appropriate way to act and an inappropriate way to act. And, and maybe to, to some degree, we just acknowledge like most of us don't even desire to do those kinds of things. Our samskaras have us not, you know, the serial killer, serial killers generally, from what we know about psychology, they're not born serial killers, right. but they're, they're raised in homes where the, the mom is abusive, the dad's abusive, dad's absent, yeah. certain things happen. And so we know like if you're going to pinpoint a serial killer early on in life before he becomes one, we know that he abuses animals, that he pisses the bed at night, that, um, that he has a serious issue with either mom or dad, either not being present in the home or being abusive. And so we know that serial killers get made. Um, so most of us don't even have a desire to do that kind of harm in the world. And, and I would say that's an extreme example of Sam Scaras. Yeah. Right. Right. Um, most of us, generally know not to be a dick. In fact, in our friend group, that's our only rule. Don't be a dick. And still some of us, and in fact, all of us at various times a, are a dick. That's such a dick rule. Yeah. <laughs> it is, right? So maybe, you know, I, I get deep down, I think you, you, I don't want to take all this and I wouldn't call it foo-foo. I wouldn't, <laughs> but I don't want to take all this stuff to its extreme end and go harm doesn't matter um, then why did you, Bill? So I want to add, like, harm does matter, right? Or do you, or do you really think, like, ah, you know, we're just molecules running up against each other, and well, what, what whether we the, do good or bad, or what? What is the whole quest for uh, uh, to have greater peace of mind, but to reduce harm? 
but but yeah. it's the it's it's the self harm. It's the like, how am I hurting myself by telling myself these false stories about the way that the world is, or by telling myself that I'm only going to be happy if things are a certain way? And and then what what I think gets um, attached to that is that part of that certain way is you know I'm not going to allow myself to be happy until the world is a utopia, until um, <laughs> you know there's there's no longer any harm or like whatever yeah. this pet cause is that that one group has and then another group has another pet cause and another group has another pet cause and you know we will we will not rest until this injustice has been righted and resolved and i i don't think that this message is saying don't do that i don't think it's saying don't engage in the world it's not saying don't try to make the world a better place it's saying when when you're in the airplane and the oxygen mask comes down take it and and put it on you first and and get your heart it to a place where it is this little factory of love making and charity and generosity so that when you are going out into the world to make it a better place you're doing it with this really open heart in, instead of being closed off and you've got your own prejudices and your own biases and you're a little hypocritical because th these people over here are okay but these people aren't for whatever reason and uh, you know you, you just kind of clean all that stuff up inside of you. I, I don't think that it's a either or um, kind of uh, proposition that you, you you release your own samskaras or you go out and you right all of the wrongs in the world or that you just say that it's okay how it is and you bury your head in the sand. I, I don't think that's how it is. I don't yeah. think that's the message. That we stop losing uh, our energy because we're investing energy in things, that we stop exhausting ourselves with the expectation that we can fix it and make it all better, that we can drive all the bad away or even in any one area, that I can solve this thing. And once this thing's solved, I'll be good. It's, it, it seems like it's just letting go of the expectation that the world will unfold a certain way. Yeah, or that, or that the love is going to come from somewhere else other than you. Yeah, that that the compassion mm. is going to come from someplace else other than you, and and I I think that once you clear out as much of these samskars as you can, you, you don't carry as heavy of a load. You don't get as exhausted as you otherwise would, and you have more capacity to be there for others, to share yourself with yeah. others more freely. And yeah, that and that rings true. Yeah. That feels, that feels true, that if I'm not invested in the world showing up a certain way, I do my part to be healthy and to share wisdom and to help others, but I'm not invested in them showing up the way I want them to show up. Like yeah. I just let go of that expectation. Yeah, you, you don't say that your daughter has to you know, be grateful for the wings with the blue cheese if she's not really. And that's, you know, you're not going to be okay until she's okay. You know, you, you remove all of that kind of stuff. You go, I'm just going to make myself okay. Yeah. And, and really, if I see that she's over there suffering, I'm going to do what I can to alleviate that suffering because I love her. And I'm going to just, you know, and I'm going to do that without any kind of conditions, no strings attached. Yeah. Which reduces your emotional investment in it, even as your showing up in healthy ways yourself. Um, there's a 
I don't know if it's at the end of five or at the beginning of six, but he kind of springs on us this new thing. He says, look, there's three things always going on. There is you're the observer. You're in there. And he constantly starts off each episode saying, let's start off from the beginning. You're, I love his summaries. I, you yeah. know, you're in there. Yeah. And, and yep, you're in there. Yeah. And we are. We're all in here. So the world is unfolding before us. Yeah. We're in here. And we're observing. So there is an observation which comes through our senses. He, it's always spoken of as our eyes, but it's not just our eyes. It's our nose. Sure. It's our ears. It's our, it's our touch. So we're, we're observing the world through our senses. And then he says we're, we have thoughts. Yep. And those thoughts aren't, uh, aren't us, although we can with intention cre- create a thought. Or if we don't, we can also have tons of thoughts going through our mind with no intention. Um, he talks about these charges or emotions. We get feelings, we get sensations, we get uh, these charges. Um, and then he suddenly goes, but there's a fourth one. I haven't told you. I told you there's only yeah. those three. Yeah. Now there's a fourth one. And that yeah. fourth one is this flow of energy. Yeah. The first three I can comprehend. The fourth one feels to me as it entered woo-woo space. Yeah. And so I, I, can you- Because he calls it from, Shakti. And yeah, he calls it cheese and shaktas and yeah. all, yeah, all that stuff. And then you've got your chakras and he talks about that a little bit too. Yeah. And so from your point of view, Glenn, mm-hmm. what, what is this fourth thing and how have you felt it? How have you experienced it? Help me understand, make connections to when I felt it and experienced it so that I can go like, Oh, it's that thing. Uh so I don't I don't really know, Bill. Um, but I think it's connected to what he talked about with the heart. And I think it's connected to what I'm talking about with the little factory. I I, I think if if I'm gonna try to get, you know, like a scientific explanation, we all have like we all are are beings of energy right i mean like we we have electrical charges we're 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 atoms and quarks and you know there's this energy that is inside of us and and the environment outside of us is atoms and quarks and electrons and so i don't i really don't i really don't know the answer to that question um taking that energy and and creating it within ourselves and pushing that out into the world, I, I think. But I'll, I, I need, I'll, I'll go back and I'll listen to it again and, and see what, what comes to me as I listen to it. Um, but, but so you asked me for a time when I have felt that. Yeah. So whatever he's defining, he's calling it energy flow or chi whatever he's defining, I have to be able to have experienced it to even comprehend it, right? None of us know, none of us know what we don't know. It's, it's the Dunning-Kruger effect, right? Like, like all of us think we understand things until somebody adds more information and then we go like, oh shit, I didn't know that. And once you know additional information, you can now reprocess something. So when he, when he says observing the world, I get it. I, I, see my th- I see what I see, I hear what I hear, I feel what I feel, I taste what I taste, I smell what I smell. Um, I understand thoughts. I understand how they're not us, and I understand how we can also, with intention, create them. 
um, I'm aware of these charges. I feel sensations. I have emotions. I give them names. I know what all that is. Yeah. When he says energy flow, I, I don't, I don't know what he's talking about. Cause he didn't relate it in a way, at least not yet. Again, I'm only up to six. And so yeah. I'm excited about seven, eight, nine. There's just um, eight. Yeah. There's, there's just eight. Two more. Great. Seven and eight. Okay. So I'm excited about listening to those and diving into it, but I don't know what he's talking about yet. Well, this, let, let's, let's put a pin in this one and, and this will be the homework assignment to come back to the next one with this question with a better answer for it. Um, because the way that I remember him talking about that sneaky little fourth thing that he slides in is that it's your will, that, it, that it's associated with the observer and that, that you have some control over how you feel about your thoughts, what you do with those thoughts, what you do with those feelings, what you do about the outside world that's around you, that, that this fourth category that he's talking about isn't something that is, is generated by the outside world or by your thoughts or by those feelings. It's something that comes from that part of you that is observing all of, all of these things. So that consciousness, but I, I don't, I don't know if that's really what he said or not. Um, yeah. Um, and again, I'm, I can only poke at how he articulated it because I don't know that I can connect the dots to what's inside of me yet. So we will, we'll yeah. pin it. But I, I would say it, it seems as though he's making this argument that we are constantly trying to have the world show up a certain way so that we can feel good inside, feel at peace inside, feel happy inside, feel content and he's trying to give us a way to, because we've all felt those. I mean, I can remember my mom passes away. And a few months later, my dad comes out here to the West. I live in Southern Utah. My dad lives in Ohio. My dad comes out here and him and my wife and me, we all go to Vegas and we just essentially just spend a three-day weekend in Vegas just having fun. And there's this moment where, we're, where we are all under the influence of conscious altering tools, you know, drinking and stuff. And uh, there's a band playing on Fremont Street in Vegas. And this band is just a cover band, but the music is so beautiful. And everything just feels so good. And we could just stand there. You're, you're standing on your feet and you're sore standing all the whole time for hours on end, literally hours on end, listen to this band. But it's like the most beautiful moment in the world, right? Like it's just, I could have stayed there forever. Literally, I could have stayed there forever. If these guys kept playing, my brain kept feeling what it was feeling. Um, and I'm the enjoyment coming from it, I just didn't want to leave. We stayed for three hours listening to these guys. Why, why didn't you stay forever? Because you just, you got to do something else, right? Like you got to go experience more experiences. <laughs> But really, do you? If you're actually having this ultimate joy, really, do you got to go chase down the next thing? You don't. Like, this is the thing you're chasing. Yeah. And, but it, and so I understand this trying to bring that feeling yeah. into this moment, even though that outside thing is not happening. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I, I My sloppy guess is that that thing that you experienced was enhanced by the alcohol and the other things that you alluded to but didn't really specify. I'm high off my mind. And, <laughs> the, and, and the music was the type of music that uh, meshed really well with your samskaras. Uh, maybe, it was, <laughs> maybe it was reggae instead of country or instead of the Beatles, which you only moderately like, and I'll forgive uh. you for that. And um, 
the, you know, but that, that, that was an example of, of the blending of, you know, these three things that he talks about the world that comes in through your senses, your thoughts and your feelings about them as, as they match up against your set of preferences, your samskaras. And you're like, this is a brilliantly joyful moment where you do your samskaras aren't just like these misery making things. They also like, Hey, this is, this is like things have lined up perfectly in this moment. I could stay here forever, except for the fact that, you know, what I, what I drank is going to wear off. The the musicians are going to stop playing. I'm going to have to go someplace else. The sun's going to set. It's going to be another day. I can't really hold on to that forever, but in your mind, you want to, in your, in your mind, you've got like, this is the apex of joy that I've experienced. And what a great way to grieve, you know, your mother's passing that you are all able to, to share that and have that experience. But I, I don't, I don't know that I would rush to say that that is anything connected to this enigmatic fourth category that neither of us can really remember. And I think what we should probably do at this point is just insert that part for the listeners so that they can hear it. And then we'll give them the homework assignment with us. Like you try and figure out what this means too, (laughs) and we'll bring it to our next conversation. We'll all do it together, Bill. So this is the core that this concept of the heart opening and the heart closing. What does it mean it opens? Now we're going to get to a much deeper place. I said to you that your experience in there is three things. You experience the world coming in, you experience the thoughts of your mind, and you experience these energies, these emotions that come from your heart. The truth is, but I didn't want to bring it up in the beginning, but we're ready now, there's a fourth thing you experience in there. But most people are not aware enough, subtle enough, to not get lost in what's coming in through their senses, lost by what their mind's doing about it, and lost by the reaction of these emotions from their heart. So while all of those things are distracting you, you can't experience this fourth thing. And that is there's an energy flow, chi, shakti, spirit, you call it whatever you want. And I'm not being metaphysical, and I haven't changed the level at which we're talking. Because the whole time we've been talking, I was talking about your experience of being in there. So you understand you do get distracted by the world that comes in. And you do get to, you, the consciousness, get distracted by the thoughts that are generated and by the emotions that come up. By the time I give you all three of those, bye-bye. You're not even there to talk. You don't, if I try to talk to you, you're busy with those. <laughs> you can't even see past it when I'm trying to take you past it. You understand that? Your mind's reacting. Your thoughts don't like this. Emotions and so on. When you quiet down enough, and this is where meditation comes in and so on, when you quiet down enough, you will realize what it is that's flowing through the heart. It is an energy flow. There is constantly an energy flow that flows inside of you. Like I said, it goes by many names. Spirit, Chi, Shakti, and I'm sure many, many more that I don't know. Okay, And it flows up inside of you. But it can only go as high as you let it. And most people, it doesn't even make its way into the heart most of the time. A little bit always goes through. Like I said, there's always a sense, I'm okay, I'm myself, right? There's just a normal flow that's happening. There are times where it becomes much stronger. The, the reason the energy is blocked inside is because of these samskaras. That's stuff that you couldn't handle from your past that you shoved away or tried to cling to, took form because you held it in there, inside. And now when the energy tries to flow up, which is its natural state to flow up, 
It can't because it hits that stuff in there. And when it hits the particular blockage, that blockage manifests and you start feeling those emotions that are associated with what you stored in there. You start thinking those thoughts that are associated. I mean, I'm telling you deep stuff here, right? In other words, this is like a computer in there that's doing something and you're just lost in it. You don't understand the process of what's happening. You are not in charge of your emotions. You aren't in charge of opening and closing your heart. You are not in charge of your thoughts, are you? Okay, just try to meditate once and see how little control you have in there. The entire inner environment is what I'm telling you. It is the dance of Shakti. It is the dance of Chi. The energy is trying to come up, but it can't because you put these energetic patterns. They aren't real things inside. They are, remember, they were the renderings that happened in your mind about what was happening outside. And then you pushed it away. So there are literally energetic patterns that are blocked inside of you. Those block the flow of energy coming through your heart. Makes me want to cry when we look at you straight. Those block the energy flowing through your heart. Those block the energy flowing through your whole system. That is your chakra system. That is the whole energy system that is flowing inside. Most people don't experience it. You, If you will follow these teachings, by the time we're done, there will come a day where you know what I'm talking about, and most of you already do, where there is so much energy flowing inside of you, it is like the rush of holy waters. There's just this constant upward flow that's flowing through your entire system, shooting out the top of your head, out your third eye, and out your hands and palms. You become a being of light. You become a being of energy. That is when the energy is free to flow. It is not blocked by these personal blockages. We're going to discuss this when we get later on in the course. But the importance of talking about it now is I can't explain to you why your heart opens and closes or why it has doors that can open and close and why certain situations open and close your heart unless you understand why it's not open. And the reason it's not open is you shove this stuff down there like the Hoover Dam, okay? And as you do that, it affects the energy flow. So what happens now is your normal state is you have all these samskaras, all these blockages stored in there, the energy like a river, okay? And if you ever watched a stream or a river, there are rocks in that river. Where does the water go? Around them, right? It goes around them. And as it goes around them, it creates eddies and currents. And it has to go over them, right? It creates disturbances in the force, in the flow. But it finds its way around, doesn't it? That the main flow, that is what is happening inside your heart. That is what's happening inside your energy system. The energy is trying to flow. It can't because it's blocked. So it's trying to find a way. It's trying to literally tiptoe through the tulips. And if it finds a way around what mommy did and around what daddy did and about that time when Ben said this to you and how that happened and just curves its way around, a little energy will come up that can feed you. And so you feel how you're feeling today. I feel okay. Right? It's a game I used to play. You want to know spirituality? Ask somebody how they're doing. They'll say, okay, not too bad. It's been worse. Okay, it'll get better. I feel good. That's a positive person. It'll get better. Right? They don't say ecstatic. I do. I make a point. Everybody has to have ecstatic. <laughs> right? It blows them away. It's true. Right? What kind of an answer is I'm doing okay? What kind of way is that to live your life? That means enough energy made it around your blockages to where you feel a certain amount of upliftment, a certain amount of joy, a certain amount of whatever, right? Until what happens? 
until something from outside comes in and stimulates your blockage. Until Ben, your ex, the name gets said, it's just in a movie, anywhere. I guarantee you don't feel the same as before it happened. Um, I, I don't really necessarily have uh, anything else to go into. Uh, I've been thinking a lot lately about the word compersion. I think, Compersion. did you mention that word? Yeah, did you mention that word in an earlier? I don't know that I've ever heard that word before. Okay, that's a, it's a new word that's been invented in the last, whatever, few decades. And it, it's tied to the polyamorous community. And they invented this word to mean when you take joy in someone else feeling joy in their experience, in spite of the fact that it's not exactly what your stuff inside would prefer. And so in the polyamorous community, it's, you know, when you let your wife go out and, and have intimacy with someone else, she's having a blast of a time and you're feeling good about it because you get joy out of her joy. Even though your stuff inside is, wouldn't do that and it feels jealousy and it doesn't want these. So for instance, I did an episode a couple of days ago where I talk about me and my wife went bowling. I'm a really competitive guy, Glenn. I, I, I love athletics and I always want to win. And if I lose, I'm butthurt about it. I, my, I, if I play basketball with you, I have to win or I get pissy inside. Now I'll be a good sportsman and I'll put on the good front and I'll smile and shake your hand and say good game. Yeah, you'd be really pissy, Bill, if we played basketball. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> hey, I got, I've got a torn ACL right now, so you win. Yeah, there we go. Um, <laughs> But we're, I'm bowling with my wife, and she's bowling the game of her life. Every frame is a spare or a strike, literally. She ends up bowling, I think, a 140. I think she had one frame where she didn't get a spare. She had one strike, two strikes, but the rest were spare. She just did really good. And I'm, and I'm having this complete joy in how good she's playing, even though she's kicking my ass. Yeah. And normally, I would be inside going like, oh, come on, throw a gutter. Give me a chance to sneak back up on you. Give me a chance to come back. Give me and, – and as I'm – as I'm doing something different, having complete joy about how she's doing well, I look over to the left of me and there's another group bowling and there's guys in this group of friends or family that is just uber competitive, cold stares, he bowls, he gets a spare and he walks right back to his seat and sits down kind of with a cold face. And he's really not enjoying this great moment to be with these people he cares about, his family or his friends. And he's just so set on winning, right? His samskaras are imposing that he has to not embarrass himself. He has to win or be close to the top. He has to be. And so he's so focused on that, that he's losing the moment of this joy with these people who are in his life. And I'm watching that. And then I'm also realizing my own setting that aside and enjoying my wife having this experience. And so um, the word compersion, when I think of what's going on with Michael Singer, I think there's some level of learning to be happy with even as unhappiness is happening and you're feeling unhappiness because things don't happen the way you want them to, learning to be happy with just the joy of life in front of you, the joy of whatever, whatever is going on that someone else is having a good experience, something else is unfolding for someone else and you're sitting with your shit as it doesn't happen the way you want it to, but you're also finding ways to make peace with that. Yeah. And I think part of making peace with that is being, you know, maybe you're at a party and the music they're playing isn't the music you want. But you know what? You can look over at some other person at the party who's having a blast because it is their kind of music. And you can appreciate this present moment and enjoy it from their perspective rather than bitching and moaning inside you because it's not the music you like. Yeah. 
I think there are better ways to do this thing. And, and again, I don't know if he would tie directly to that, but I think that's one of the things I do when I'm in an experience I don't like is I try to find someone who is enjoying yeah. the experience. Yeah. And, and I, I mean, I, I think he might, he, he might push back a little bit at the use of the word happy in those situations because you might not always be happy with what comes in. And if you're trying to make yourself happy about something that you're not really happy about, then you're pushing against what's coming on. Just, you know, you're creating another samskara with that. But if you just kind of allow things to be what they are and you're at peace with them for how it is, because, you know, what he, what he keeps talking about over and over again is this moment that you're in took 13.8 billion years to show up exactly how it is. And that's incredible. And that's amazing. Yeah. And, you get, and you get one split moment with it, and then we move on to the next and, one. You get one split moment. Yeah, and and what a what a, a a gift it is for you to be able to experience it, whatever it is, you know. So if if you're being mugged, <laughs> or you're having something really really horrible happen to you, are you going to be grateful for that experience in that moment? Are you going to be happy? Are you going to be at peace with it? Is it you know like that? That's where things it gets a little bit problematic to me. But I think in your your bowling example, you know, you, you've been able to shift your own sense of inner peace to allow for your wife's success to, to make you happy. And, you know, you just don't, you don't have to just win at her uh, expense. But w- what if you were both just sucking it up? What, what if she twisted her ankle or you twisted your ankle or, you know, some, some horrible thing happened? Would you still be able to be at peace with it? Or would you go, oh, that just was we shouldn't have gone. It was a terrible experience because, you know, it still didn't match my expectations of how I wanted things to go. Um, you know, are you able to go like, wow, that was amazing. It took 13.8 billion years to get to a point where I could twist my ankle or have this horrible thing. You know, so, right. Like, you know, I, I, I think a lot of this stuff is, is kind of pie in the sky, but it's still, you know, if, if I'm going to be trying to do anything with my life, I'll try to do things to create peace and be more accepting of the moments that are there in front of me and, and try to get out of my own way whenever I possibly can. Um, so yeah. I, mm, I, yeah, I don't know what to add. I, I'm, I, I don't yet know how to be at peace other than to know like, oh, this moment will pass and something else is going to happen. Like I can do it from that angle, but that seems, he seems to be suggesting like, could you do it if that moment never passes? Could you do it if, if only bad things happen for the next 10 days? Could you do it if, you know, could you, could you appreciate the moment in front of you, even if there was no expectation that something better was going to happen right. after this bad experience? And I don't know that I'm there yet. And I don't know that I can even comprehend what that looks like or feels like to do that. I think the only way to do that is to just really be in the moment that you're in, you know, and, and not, not worrying about, well, if this thing happens, am I going to be able to be at peace right now? But just like, okay, well right now, as, as I'm sitting here having this conversation with you, like, how do I feel? And um, do, am I, am I having a peaceful moment? And I am Bill. And it doesn't have anything to do with you. Yeah, Sorry. me too. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right. So I'm excited about the next two. Send those to me as soon as you can. Is there, what other pieces do we need to cover here? Is there something where we've left out? Oh, I'm sure there are plenty of things that we left out, but uh, 
Yeah, I for for people who are interested in this, I mean, once again, I, I mentioned it in the first one that we recorded, but Sounds True is the platform that uh, sells this series, and it's an eight-core series. I think, and it's it's got Surrender. Maybe it's called the Path to Surrender. Um, it it's it's really worth the 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 money. I, I think it's like one hundred twenty dollars or. Maybe it's ninety. I don't. It's something, something like that, depending on what deal, deals they have. But it's eight um, courses that are. Each one is about an hour. Some are a little longer. Some are a little shorter. And he's he's really repetitive in these concepts. But that helps. And and you know, I, I was glad to hear that you had listened to these twice before coming in because yeah, I when I first heard these back in May or June or whenever it was, I just I listened to them non-stop i just i just loved them and i can't say that they've totally like completely imprinted on me i mean obviously you threw some things at me tonight that i didn't know the answers to but it's uh it it really has changed the way that i show up in my relationships with my kids um with my partner people that i work with uh you know like i i enjoy my interactions with people a lot more now than i used to And I yeah. and I'm much more curious about who people are. There, there yeah. there's something there's something about that that instead of, um, like, judging and and going, ooh, that doesn't look like the kind of person that I would want to interact with, or, you know, like for for whatever reason, I might have that. It feels like that has gone away. Like I I don't I don't have that like I used to. I think mm. unless I'm fooling myself, Bill. I've done that before. That's always a possibility. Yeah. Um, I, the idea of spiral dynamics, which I think you've talked about before on, on Infants on Thrones, but this idea that we constantly continually spiral around revisiting all these kinds of ideas and shadows inside us and wrestling with things. And every time we revisit a topic, we gain something more, we develop a little further. Um, so, you know, again, having listened to it twice and you're kind of talking about how this has all been improved improvement to your life, but maybe, maybe it isn't real. I, I think it is real. I think the more we think about why we do things the way we do as humans, we get a chance to do it a little better. And again, I know you're saying, okay, better or worse. What is that? But there is some reason that you're attracted to the series and what it's done for you. And you feel like you're showing up in the world as a healthier human being. And so there is something positive even if positive and negative are myths, right? Um, I'll, I'll share one last little story and then I'm, I'm happy to close if you don't have anything else. But I've got a, uh, in the past, I had a friend who when we would get together with that friend and other friends, something would often disrupt this person and this person would fall into kind of a, like a, like a emotional hole. And they would constantly be going like, Oh, I fucked up. I shouldn't have said that. I hurt somebody's feelings. Uh, so now I'm going to walk away from the group and I'm going to go sit in a corner and I'm, you've got such gonna, a potty mouth now, Bill. When did, when I know. Did, and I, I actually enjoy it. I love swearing. <laughs> I did an episode on swearing and, and, and I, I listened to a, I think it was a radio lab podcast where they talked about how we choose the swear words we do in each culture and uh-huh. how they're all sharp words. They, they start or end with sharp sounds. And the biggest words we have of swear words begin and end with sharp sounds. Wow. Think of the F word. Um, I don't have to. I just heard it. This, this friend uh, 
gets herself into a hole and she just stays there all night. She misses an hour of the party. And the moment you decide to be present again, the moment you go like, okay, I messed up 20 minutes ago. So what? Let's, let's now re-enter the human space of interaction and just put it behind me and re-engage pretending as if I'm okay again. And then within seconds, go fast forward 10 minutes, you literally are okay again. You're back in the conversation. Somebody's talking about something different. You're re-engaging the group. You're laughing. You're, and I think this ties in too, that the moment you choose to be present in the moment when something hard just happened five minutes ago that hurt you, you, you choose to be present again and re-enter. If you're not being hurt in this moment, you get to put away that being hurt in that moment and re-engage what's going on around you. And, and again, it's the fastest, healthiest way to not be caught up in the hole that you were in five minutes ago. Um, and it's this whole idea of past and future. And, and again, I don't, it's not, he's not saying that directly. These are just things that I, I feel are tied directly to this process. Yeah. So anyway, just my, my little story there that the moment you choose to not be in the rabbit hole you're in or the, the dark hole of hell that you're in from something that happened two moments ago, you're not in it anymore. The moment you choose not to be in it, you're not in it anymore. You, you get to move on with the next moment. Yeah, I think, I think there, there's a real power in taking responsibility for the stories that you're telling yourself, the fictions you're telling yourself, yeah. the feelings that you're feeling and going, yeah. okay, the reason that I'm in this hole is because I have these samskaras something hit my stuff and i went oh i don't like this that's my doing it's it's not the result of whatever came in it's just atoms <laughs> that are interacting with other atoms but i i'm the one that put the dam on the colorado river that created this patterns of preference for me and whatever happened didn't hit my preferences i'm the one who built this sets of preferences i'm the one who can make a, a decision about whether i'm gonna let those continue to ruin my night or, or not. And, uh, you know, I, I think it takes time. I don't think that you can just flip a switch and turn it off like a light switch. There's, there's another kind of one of those little references in there because we, we've also heard that, oh, if you don't like it, just turn it off, <laughs> you know, like a light switch. It, it kind of borders on that, right? But, right, right. but they're, they're, it's about taking personal responsibility. So when in, in my relationship with Cammie, when she gets upset or when I get upset, we both recognize now, oh, I'm doing something that is upsetting myself here. I'm not going to blame this on you. Uh, and and I, I don't know if, you've, if you're familiar with the nonviolent communication books, um, a, a, a way of taking ownership for when this thing happens, I feel this way about it. And the reason that I feel this way about it is because I have a history of building up these preferences to it. And so I'm going to right now take that responsibility. I'm going to write it out. I, what, what I do is I start breathing and I relax my body and just try to like ride out the emotion. Mm. And yeah, and it, it seems that to I can be relate to. Seems yeah, to that working. I can relate to. Um, anything else? Anything else that you that comes up that comes up for you as you kind of think about these three parts? Um, not totally related, but uh, Ted Lasso. Have you have you have you watched that TV show yet with uh, Jason Sudeikis? It's on it's what's, on Apple what's TV. What's the name of the show? It's Ted Lasso. Oh, it is. That's the name of the show, Ted yeah. Lasso. I don't. I'm not familiar with it. He's. Uh, it's it's fantastic. I'll just I'll just say that. He, he's it's it's kind it's kind of silly in certain ways, but he kind of takes this philosophy of 
being really positive uh, in even some really hard situations that he goes through. I, I, I really enjoyed it. I really liked it. And, and in fact, I think I want to insert a scene, a scene where he's talking about the importance of being curious instead of judging people. You know, Rupert, guys have underestimated me my entire life. And for years, I never understood why. It used to really bother me. But then one day, I was driving my little boy to school, and I saw this quote by Walt Whitman. It was painted on the wall there. It said, be curious, not judgmental. And I like that. So I get back in my car and I'm driving to work and all of a sudden it hits me. All them fellas that used to belittle me, not a single one of them were curious. You know, they thought they had everything all figured out and so they judged everything and they judged everyone. And I realized that they're underestimating me. <sighs> Who I was had nothing to do with it. <laughs> Cause if they were curious, they would ask questions, you know? Questions like, have you played a lot of darts, Ted? <laughs> Which I would have answered, yes, sir. Every Sunday afternoon at a sports bar with my father from age 10 to I was 16 when he passed away. Barbecue sauce. Instead of judging situations, like having real genuine curiosity and how that can make a shift in the way that you feel about the world around you. And I, I think that's an example of opening up your heart instead of closing it. Um, and uh, yeah. So I, I would do recommend, know, do you know who streams that? Is it on Netflix? Is it Apple, on Amazon prime? Apple TV, Just Apple TV. Yeah. It's one of those Apple, uh, Apple TV shows. Yeah. But a, a okay. listener of infants on thrones recommended it to me last week. And so Cammy and I started watching it and we just, we burned through it's 10 episodes, you know, season one, 30 minutes each. And uh, yeah, I really liked it. Fish, fi fi it. fish out of water. He's he's like six kind of southern guy goes to England to coach their football slash soccer club. And uh, yeah, that's it. Good show, man. Cool. And, I'll and, check it out. Then in that movie, Lucy, I'm going to check that out. Tonight. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And then Jason Mraz's reggae album. Look for the good. I sent you that link. Yeah. I really like reggae. That's a, That's an awesome one, too. I do. I love reggae. I, it, it seems to speak to that idea. Like, you know, you can't fix everything. Just be the best you you can be in this moment. So stop, stop, you know, turn off all of the presidential and vice presidential debates, quit watching the news, stop filling yourself full of all that toxic stuff. Yeah. And uh, le learn how to love yourself instead of building up all these Sam scars about how awful the world is. Yeah. I love it. <laughs> no, I love it. This, I, I love, this has been helpful. I, I listened to the, I think I, I read the untethered soul three or four years ago. Yeah. A lot of the things I read are playing in this space of being present and aware and sitting with your shiz instead of, instead of worrying about how it's not being your expectations aren't being met in any given moment. I, I this feels natural to me. So I'm, I'm excited to listen to these last two and we'll have a wrap up conversation where we kind of hit on what's there and, and then hopefully the listeners are getting something from this too. And, and like you say, I think everybody should go listen to the actual eight part series and, yeah. and uh, you know, put a little money down. What's, what's, what's 120 bucks if it's life changing. Yeah. And it, and it may not be, you know, I mean, it might not speak to people the way it speaks to me. Um, but yeah, I've, I sure have loved it. Cool. 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 Well, I'm excited. We'll, uh, we'll listeners should expect to hear from us maybe another week or so. Yeah. Right on. 
Okay, send me those two, and uh, I'll get out of your way and let you get back to your evening. I appreciate your time, and I, I find these conversations fun. I I even had a thought some a thought of a few times in the last few weeks that you and I probably appreciate our own ownership of our own product, but I think you and I would do really well to to do a podcast together. I think we are. And, I think it's just yeah, already yeah, happening. No, I agree. We just I mean, like something, that, something that has a little bit of a run to it. <laughs> well, I haven't told you yet my idea to do the uh, letting go David Hawkins following up this stuff. So, so okay. I've got more ideas, Bill. I love it. Well, let's keep doing it. And as long as we're both releasing it in our own product, then, then I think I feel good about it. All so. right. <laughs> <Sounds good. laughs> hey, here's a bug. How much you, how much you want it, uh, to eat it? 20 bucks from your listeners? Yeah, you know what? Somebody might offers pay me, 30. me, yeah. One guy pulled out like six or seven 20s out of his pocket, <laughs> stuffed it in my pocket when no one's looking. Uh-huh. I was ready to eat the bug. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Have a great night and uh, I'll, uh, I'll save my audio here on my end. And listeners, I'm just excited for you to kind of hear these conversations. I, I think you're a bright guy, Glenn, and I, I think these conversations are super helpful to awakening and inner work that we're all trying to do. Yeah. A ditto, Bill. You're also bright. Yeah, thank Dazzling. you. Dazzling. Br- brilliant thank you, and shining. <laughs> so, so, so bright I got to wear shade. <laughs> All right. Okay, have a great night. See you, Bill. Bye-bye. I hope you enjoyed today's episode of the Almost Awakened podcast. And I hope this conversation is beneficial to you as you're going through the waking up process. Don't forget to check out our Reddit page, R-E-D-D-I-T. Uh, is a website that hosts various forums. One of those forums is Almost Awakened. Uh, we are growing there, and we share lots of links there to articles, podcasts, websites, um, different research being done. That's to help you in your awakening process. I hope that you enjoyed today's conversation with Glenn Osland from Infants on Thrones. And if you feel so inclined, please donate to keep this podcast alive at the website almostawakened.org. Today's closing song is Dirty Heads. So glad you made it. Play the music. And rising like the morning sun. I'm so glad you made it. I opened you yeah, I got nowhere I should go, I got nowhere I should be I got my friends all around, we got this bag full of weed We twice metal and chill, I'm talking no Tennessee We rolling up and pass around, we're feeling free, yeah Cooler than the winter breeze And rising like the morning sun I'm so glad you made it I opened you up Cooler than the winter breeze And rising like the morning sun Glad you made it. I brought you up one. Midnight glow down a country road where the hands move fast, but the time moves slow. Everything's fine. Everything's fine. Smoke rings out like a melody. Whiskey sweeter in a tangerine, and I know everyone knows. Cooler than the wind. Rising like the morning sun I'm so glad you made it I opened you up Cooler than the winter breeze And rising like the morning sun I'm so glad you made it